outside of the players that I've, I've developed a personal relationship with, uh, without question, my favorite player of all time is Steve Nash. Uh, always loved Nash's game, and I just, just loved everything about the way he carried himself as a professional. And uh, I, I got the chance to meet him, and I had a, a, an amazing conversation with him, um, but I don't know him on a super deep level. Uh, but what, what's really cool is, uh, and those who, who do follow the NBA closely will already know this, but those that don't, Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with author and speaker Alan Stein Jr. Alan, um, if you missed part one, please go back and listen to his Kobe Bryant story and transitioning from 20 years of strength and conditioning coaching at the highest levels in basketball to now helping you know, Amazon and Starbucks and Pepsi and all these organizations bring those principles to their companies. Um, but think, speaking again about these these kind of performers at the highest level, um, I know you've had some interactions with Kevin Durant. Can you talk about those and maybe one of the main principles that stuck out to you? Most certainly be happy to. KD is one of my all-time favorite human beings, uh, not just basketball players. And both of us are products of the DMV area, which is an acronym for uh, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, kind of this hub. And uh, we both grew up in this area on either sides of the beltway, but uh, I, I had a chance to meet KD when, when he was 15 years old, and uh, I was watching him play in an AAU game, and I only watched him for a few minutes, uh, and there were a few things that were really, really obvious to me. Uh, one is just how much this kid loves to play the game of basketball. I mean, he was playing his tail off, and he was smiling from ear to ear the entire time. Uh, it was also obvious that uh, he had tremendous fundamentals. His footwork and his shooting mechanics uh, were pristine for somebody as young as he was. Uh, it also became very obvious to me that uh, he had a very high basketball IQ, uh, that even at 15, he understood the game on a cerebral level that would rival most you know, high school coaches. Uh, and then the last one that I noticed, I'm um, trying to say how I can say it politely, uh, Kevin was very slight of frame. Uh, he used to get really irritated with me when I would call him skinny, but I mean, he was really, really skinny. I mean, he was, you know, close to 6'10 at 180 pounds, so very wiry and slender. Uh, and it was obvious to me as a performance coach and a strength and conditioning coach that really the only thing that would prevent this kid from playing at a very high level would be lack of size and power. And since that was my area of expertise, you know, I, I was excited, hopefully, for an opportunity to be able to help him with his proverbial Achilles heel. And it took a few months of convincing because, understandably, uh, you know, Kevin and his wonderful mom, Wanda, uh, were a little hesitant to allow him to go into a workout with someone they didn't really know or have a comfort level with. Uh, so it took some time for me to earn that trust and earn that right. Uh, but finally, after a couple months of convincing, he came in for a workout and, you know, I really laid the hammer on him, you know, in about 30 or 40 minutes. I mean, he was just laying in a pile uh, on the gym floor. I mean, I, I was the hammer and the nails. And I, I remember, you know, looking down on him and he was kind of shaking and twitching and, and Kevin was, was always a really quiet kid. Uh, so he didn't really say much during the workout. So I really wasn't sure whether or not he liked it. So I just asked him and as serious as can be, he said, no, I didn't, but I know this is what I need to do if I want to play in the NBA. So when can I see you again, coach? And I remember being blown away at that moment. Uh, 
that 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 a kid this young had the maturity to say, you know what, I'm going to need to make some changes. I'm going to have to embrace change because uh, I'm going to have to get stronger and, and I'm going to have to get more powerful and I'm going to have to gain weight. So I'm going to have to make a change to what I'm currently doing. Uh, but the part that was so remarkable is that that change was going to come with a tremendous amount uh, of not only physical, but mental and emotional discomfort, too. And that, that Kevin had the courage uh, and the internal leadership to run headfirst into discomfort because he knew that that was a prerequisite to what it was that he wanted. That he was willing to make the sacrifice and willing to put himself in some uncomfortable positions because he knew that what was on the other side of that. Uh, was something that he he wanted more than anything in the world, and and that's the lesson you know that that all of us should be able to pull out is uh, one we need to embrace change. Uh, we have to know that that the world is changing every minute of every day, uh, and we can't live in fear of that. Uh, we can't try to resist it because it's futile. I mean, you can't stop change, so there's no point in even trying to. Uh, but then also is acknowledging that more times than not. When we do make a change in our life, it's going to come with some discomfort. You know, we're all creatures of habit and we get in our routines and when we have to change that routine, it makes us uncomfortable physically, mentally or emotionally. Uh, but we have to embrace that discomfort because uh, it's the stepping stone to where we want to go. So whether you're talking about changing the habits of your morning routine uh, or changing the way that you communicate with a, with a colleague at work, you have to be willing to go through the discomfort because that's what's going to get you to the other side. Yeah. Can you talk about the mental side of that for a minute? I mean, I like I'm on your I'm on your website, raiseyourgamebook.com, and I'm seeing the quote from Kevin here that says that Alan played a huge role in my development on and off the court and his guidance helped me get to where I am today. This book is a must read. And I'm I'm coupling it with the story you just told and you know, I'm thinking about myself. As a as a twenty year old, I was like almost six foot three and like hundred and forty pounds, you know. So I definitely yeah. was one of these skinny skinny guys and and it's taken me a long time to add another 40 pounds to that. And uh, I'm just thinking about like all the defeatism because I was busy doing investment banking and, you know, I'm a I'm a snowboarder, you know, s surfer, not like a, I'm not a football player. So the size wasn't as right. direct, except that my own like perception of myself and my own like self-confidence being like that skinny and having all sorts of other people bring it up, you know, had been a thing my whole life. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so there's, you know. In my teenage, I did competitive judo all my teenage years, and I was in weight classes with kids that were like a good 12 inches shorter than me generally, right? Oh, I bet. And, um, you know, uh, I think I, I engaged in a lot of defeatism about my ability to put on some size and muscle and things like that. Um, can, and, it, you know, it wasn't just the discomfort. I, you know, as a skateboarder, you, you have so many injuries <laughs> over and over yes. and over and over, right? Um, so it wasn't that I couldn't do hard things, but like that mental game of like, I would go try hard, I'd be feeling good. And then I realized like, it didn't seem like much was changing at all. And yes. my metabolism was just eating everything up. And, and I never really paid the price to like eat hard enough to gain. Right. Yes. And, and really commit to those gym and those other things. Can you talk about this? Um, the, the mental game, like there's, there's the, the mental of, can I endure this or can I get up at 5 a.m. tomorrow? And then there's this longer mental game of like, you know, is this even worth it? Is this even possible kind of thing, which it's easy to say, like, of course, anything's possible. But then when you're actually dealing with yourself and you you feel like maybe it's not, it's so debilitating, right? Oh, absolutely. No, I love that you brought that up. And 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 using weight gain is a perfect uh, a, a perfect thing that we can use as an example. Ultimately, what high performers and high achievers understand, and I know this 
this phrase is starting to become cliche. And the only reason is, is because it's true. You know, the, the, the big buzzword now is about the process and trust the process and respect the process and appreciate the process. Uh, but the reason it's cliche and it's on all these Facebook memes and Nike t-shirts is because it's true that you have to learn how to, once you've established a goal, so we'll use you for an example, uh, let's just say your goal at the time was to gain 30 pounds. And uh, that's the outcome that we're looking for. Now the question is, how can we break that down into micro steps and to smaller segments so that we can have some incremental gains that will eventually lead us down the path uh, to your 30 pound total weight gain. You know, if, if I would have met you when that's what you weighed and said, you know, uh, hey man, how would you like to gain one pound? You'd have probably rolled your eyes and be like, yeah, whatever, dude, that's not much. That's one pound. Who cares? Uh, but if you were able to gain one pound, let's say a week for the next 30 weeks, which is in, I mean, that is very doable. And in fact, that's doable with minimal effort. Um, in 30 weeks, you know, you would have been, that's, that's, you know, a handful of months, half a year, you would have been able to uh, reach your goal. And, and it's all about being able to break it down into those micro steps and to focus on the process. And that's the thing. Uh, when someone has a huge, you know, audacious goal, which is what most high performers have, if they just sit back and think about that, sometimes you can get paralyzed, you can get insecure, you can get fearful, you know, that, that you started eating more and for three days and then you weighed yourself again and you hadn't gained anything. So you probably think, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to gain 30 pounds. I've been doing this for three days and I haven't gained anything. That can very much be self-defeating. Uh, so the key would be able to say, all right, let's make a couple changes to the way you're eating and what you're eating. And every Sunday night, why don't you weigh yourself and let's see if we can come back a half a pound or one pound heavier. Uh, and that's very doable, you know, uh, especially and even with someone like KD, you know, uh, with young people looking to gain weight. You know, when you were that age, if I would have come up to you, Jess, and said, look, uh, in, in one week from today, I'm going to weigh you in. And if you're one pound heavier, I'll buy you any skateboard that you want <laughs> or any snowboard that <laughs> you want or some, something that would be motivating to you. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that you would accomplish that. There's no question. In fact, you'd probably come back two or three pounds heavier the next week because you wouldn't leave anything to chance. You would have done everything possible. And then all we have to do is, is take that, you being so strongly connected to your purpose and your why, and then just figure out how to replicate that enough times until you've reached your goal of, of 30 pounds. And, you know, uh, when, we, when we open up and we're willing to embrace change and we're willing to embrace discomfort, then the next step is simply being able to do it consistently and trusting the process. Uh, the last thing I'll say, and, and this from a process standpoint, because this usually serves as a great visual, you know, if if you were tasked with building a brick wall, I don't want you too worried initially about how long the wall is going to be or how tall is it going to be uh, or if you're going to paint it. All I want you focused on is laying perfect bricks. All I want you to focus on is picking up one brick and setting it exactly where it needs to go with care and precision. And then as soon as that brick's been laid, then turn around and pick up another brick. And all I want you to focus on is where you're going to put the next brick. And if you keep your focus on each individual brick and laying each of them with care and precision, ultimately you're going to have yourself a sound, sturdy wall. Uh, it'll take care of itself. Now, uh, you can't guarantee any outcome, but whether you're trying to gain 30 pounds or you're trying to build a brick wall, you might not be able to guarantee it, but you can statistically increase the likelihood it'll happen just by focusing on the process. And that's what's most important. And that's another key pillar that, that with my own life, um, I try to make sure that I'm staying very process-oriented 
you know, uh, try to wake up every day, just esoterically speaking and saying, okay, what do I need to do today that's going to get me closer to this goal that I have? I don't have to worry about anything else other than what do I need to do today to get me closer to that goal? And then you just keep whittling that down. What do I need to do this morning to get me closer to my goal? What do I need to do this hour to get me closer to my goal? And the more precision you can have running it through that filter, the more likely you are that you'll string together uh, the, the consistent effort and, and out, things that you need to deliver your outcome. You know, it's, it's interesting as you talk about that. Um, you know, in the first part of the episode, I, I mentioned that uh, hearing your Kobe Bryant story was enough to say, let's have this guy on the show. But uh, the other part of that that I didn't mention is um, this quote that Penn State football put on their wall uh, that you said, apparently, this uh, are the habits you have today on par with the dreams you have for tomorrow. And, you know, I think about I think back to the story we were just talking about and I think about how hard I would work at gaining muscle and uh, putting on some weight. And if I'm really honest with myself. I, don't, I really don't think my consistency was there. I think I thought yeah. about it a lot, you know, but uh, I had like a lot emotionally invested in it. But if I actually calculated like daily consistency, no. And and that like intermittent consistency throughout weeks, it just doesn't add up enough if you're counting, you know, if you count how much do I think I've done instead of how much did I actually do, yep. you know, I just don't think my consistency was there. Um well, listen uh, on your on your website here. You, you've obviously got photos with uh, some some pretty impressive ball players: Steph Curry, LeBron James, these different folks. What's a What's another story that maybe people don't know about someone like that 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 really impacted you individually? Um, well, you know. Uh- Outside of the players that I've, I've developed a personal relationship with, uh, without question, my favorite player of all time is Steve Nash. Uh, always loved Nash's game, and I just, just loved everything about the way he carried himself as a professional. And uh, I, I got the chance to meet him, and I had a, a, an amazing conversation with him, um, but I don't know him on a super deep level. Uh, but, but what's really cool is, uh, and those who, who do follow the NBA closely will already know this, but those that don't, you know, back in the early 2000s, uh, Steve Nash won back-to-back MVP titles, uh, which is puts him in a very rare company. There's not many players that have won back-to-back MVP titles in the NBA. And the first year that he won that, he actually only led the NBA in two statistical categories. Uh, the first was assists. Uh, which means he likes to share the sugar and get other people involved. You know, he likes to to set his other his teammates up so they can be successful. Uh, certainly, the sign of a great leader and a great teammate. Uh, but what a lot of people don't know is the other statistic that he led the league in uh, was actually an informal statistic, and that was physical touches. And I'm actually talking about high fives, fist bumps, and pats on the backside. And if anyone listening is kind of rolling their eyes going, how could you possibly know he led the NBA in high fives and fist bumps? Well, I can tell you because there was a research team from UC Berkeley, and they were conducting an official research study because they wanted to measure and see if showing signs of enthusiasm, like high fives and fist bumps, uh, actually equated to more wins on the court. So they had an entire team of people watch every minute of every NBA game and make a tally mark every time a player gave a high five or a fist bump. Uh, Well, the Phoenix Suns, and that's who Steve Nash played for at the time, they were so enamored by this study that they actually hired a full-time intern to count just for Steve Nash. And in the first game that the intern counted, and mind you, an NBA game is 48 minutes on the clock. It takes about two hours worth of time, but 48 game minutes. In the first game that the intern recorded, 
Steve Nash delivered 239 high fives, fist bumps, and pats on the backside. I mean, he, he was a, a, a human furnace of connection. And the reason I tell this story and why it's one of my favorite stories, uh, certainly when we're talking about sport and we're talking about physicality, where high fives and fist bumps and pats on the backside uh, are appropriate. Uh, in fact, they're needed because it's been physiologically proven that you can transfer energy through human touch, that I can actually help you raise your game, shameless plug, by a high five or a fist bump or some type of physical touch. Now, clearly in the work environment, uh, where, where many times physical touch is not appropriate, what we pull from this is the ability to make emotional touches. So if you want to be the type of teammate that everyone wants to play with, and you want to be the type of leader that has maximum impact and influence, then ask yourself, how many emotional touches are you giving your team? How, how many emotional high fives, fist bumps, and pats, pats on the butt are you giving? You know, how many compliments are you giving? How many assists are you giving to support your team? And you need to make sure that you're doing those things as consistently as possible. You know, one of the reasons Steve Nash was such a great leader is because he was always trying to fill other people's buckets. You know, he was always trying to congratulate a teammate when they made a good play or give somebody a, a pat on the back when they were feeling a little bit dejected after they turned the ball over. He was always thinking of others and pouring into them. And, and as, as teammates and as leaders, that's what we need to do. And, and we don't need to do it through the physical. We can do it through the mental and the emotional. And the, the really the, the cool part about Steve Nash, if you follow his his journey, I mean, he ended up playing in the NBA a couple years longer uh, than probably his his body and skills warranted. And it's because he was such a great teammate. You know, he has that liquid gold ability that he could walk into any room and everyone in the room gets better by default just by his mere presence. And that is one of the most valuable skill sets any human being can possess is the ability to make other people better. And it all starts with caring and trying to fill their buckets and being intentional about it. I love that story. Um, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think most of us probably have somebody like that in our life where, you know, as soon as you see them, you're going to be smiling. Right. And yes. just those, those people that uh, give us those huge invitations to feel important. I mean, those it's like they're like a human electromagnet. Right. Yes. And, and, and the cool thing to do is then to internally ask yourself. So here's an exercise I do all the time um, is to tell people, OK, come up with a list of the four or five people that fill your bucket the most, uh, that basically do what you just said so perfectly. Who are the four or five people that anytime you talk to them, see them, or even think about them, it brings a smile to your face. It motivates you. It inspires you. It makes you feel like you can take on the world. Who are those people? And, and then ask yourself, how intentional are you uh, about seeking them out and searching for them? I mean, you know, clearly, if, if you happen to be married to one of them, you'll probably see them every night. But if this is someone that you don't see regularly, but you know they possess that, that, that you know, characteristic where they bring out the best in you, why aren't you trying to, to get more time with them and, and spend more time with them? Because they make you a better version of yourself. And then the other thing you can ask is, if, if I were to, you know, if I were to go up to the 20 people, 20 people that know you well and ask them to come up with the same list, how many times would your name be on their list? You know, how do people view you? Do people view you as an energy giver, uh, as a bucket filler? You know, do, do anytime someone comes in contact with you, do they feel better about themselves? Uh, and if not, why not? What changes can you make um, to, to be able to, to be that type of person in other people's lives? So doing quick audits like that uh, and making sure we're so much more intentional with who we invest our time with uh, makes a huge difference in our ability to perform and achieve. 
Yeah, I love it. Well, listen, um, obviously, uh, hoping people will come to your website, raiseyourgamebook.com, and, and check out the book. Um, I also uh, highly recommend everybody checks out Alan's TED Talk. Uh, I know I enjoyed it. Um, any, uh, any closing comments here, Alan? We appreciate all the time you've given us. No, I appreciate your time and, and certainly want to commend you. You're an extraordinary active listener, and you asked great insightful questions. So this, this was a real pleasure. So, no, thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, everybody.